Well, it is with great joy that I get to share the word with you this morning. But before we get into it, let's pray together. Jesus, we have sung marvelous things about you this morning. And I pray that our hearts have been overflowing with praise for what a great event and celebration Easter is. Father, I pray as we get into the word that your name again would be glorified. That through your spirit, we would be reminded of Jesus who died for us and who now rises to display your power, your glory, and your love for us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we continue to celebrate the resurrection, this great event in which Jesus defeated death, and rose from the grave, I want us to take another look at this event from John 20, in which Jesus appears to his disciples for the first time, and then appears to a man named Thomas, who is also one of his disciples. Perhaps it seems strange to focus on someone like Thomas and Jesus for an Easter sermon, but I think with the world as it is right now, I believe it's vital that we see through the lens of the resurrection in this post-resurrection event. The sermon title is this, Peace Be With You, Doubt and the Resurrection. Some questions to help guide your minds and your thinking this morning. What do you think of when you think of doubt? What do you think of when you doubt? Not if you doubt, but when you doubt. You see, if you have been a Christian for a while, you may think of doubt as something as taboo. Perhaps you have grown up thinking and believing that doubt is a sin. That to have doubt is to not have faith. And therefore, sinful. And therefore, we don't want to mention it if we have doubt, because we don't want to mention any of our personal sins. But how does your view of doubt reflect how you live the rest of your life, Sunday to Saturday? How do you act when you have doubt? How do you act when someone you love has doubt? This morning we have sung songs of great praise, and I don't want that to end. In fact, at the end of this, I want us to see that doubt, actual healthy doubt, isn't a barrier to knowing Jesus. Doubt should not and is not a barrier to knowing Jesus. In fact, doubt should be a helpful stepping stone to encountering the living Jesus who we see in the scriptures and who lives in and through his church. So each point, big or small, will lead us to that point. Doubt not as a barrier, but as something that actually helps us respond in praise to our risen Savior. At that same time, we are going to encounter Jesus seeing doubt from one of his disciples. I want us to be able to answer these questions at the end with absolute confidence. What if doubt actually helped us believe? 
What if doubt made us go deep into scripture and see who God is? What if doubt actually helped us and didn't hinder us? What would happen to our life? If you're not a Christian, I also invite you to think deeply this morning about your doubts regarding Jesus and see what both scripture and history have to say about this. Don't close the sermon now. Listen to it all. Let's dive deep into the word. If you have your Bibles with you at home, I encourage you to go into John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. John 20, 19 to 29. These are the words. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which actually means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here we have the context, right? Jesus has now risen. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene. And now we get the chance to see Jesus appear to those he was closest to for the past three years, his disciples. Now I want to point out a few main things that help us see how Jesus answers doubt. Focusing on Jesus, of course, and his character. The first point from verses 19 and 20, which are again on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, the disciples, like many of us, were in isolation. They are fearful when we see it here. The door is locked because all hope is gone. This man who they thought was the Messiah, 
the one who would come and save them, was dead. They thought they had spent three years of their life to follow this man, and it just went down the drain. They doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. If you heard the sermon last week on Palm Sunday in John 12, 16, we knew this would be the case. As it said, these things about the titles the crowd gave Jesus, like Hosanna and King. It said in John 12, 16, at first his disciples did not understand all this. It says only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. These men who had spent a lot of time with Jesus, who called himself God, who called himself the only way to the Father, the one who said he would rise, was dead, killed by the authorities, and now they were fearful that they would die much like Jesus did. They were fearful because they doubted. Have you ever noticed that about doubt? That when you doubt, you start to fear because you are unsure about the big questions of life. Where is God in the midst of a pandemic? Who is God in the midst of a pandemic? How can God call himself love when my son or my daughter or my grandchild or great-grandchild is in the hospital? All of these big questions create fear within our heart. It stirs up worry and anxiety. Now, disciples of Jesus, since the start of the disciples, have had doubt and with that fear and anxiety. But Jesus, I want us to notice here, doesn't go away when it comes to doubt. Notice what he does here. With fear in their hearts, Jesus comes and stands among them, and the first thing he says is, Peace be with you. This was, of course, a common greeting for Jews at the time, and still is in many aspects. But for the disciples, for his closest friends, for his followers, this was a reminder that this was indeed Jesus Back in John 14, 27, when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, preparing their hearts for his departure, he said these words to them, and I believe to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This peace be with you from Jesus was far more than the normal greeting from someone of Jewish nationality. This was a reminder that this was the risen Savior, not any regular person. And see the reactions from the disciples. It says they were overjoyed. You see, there is a process from the fear that they felt to the now rejoicing and that is all through the peace of Jesus. Now, how does this peace of Jesus help us with our doubts in actually knowing Jesus? 
And I don't want us to get this confused with thinking that I'm talking about general peace, as in peace that you can try to achieve with your own strength, such as looking to do things like what this one website says about how to find peace. It says these things. It says, learn to trust yourself. Focus on what you're learning. Ease your expectations. Open up to someone you trust. Use hope to drive positive action. Move towards something instead of away. Take a few steps back. Give yourself time. See, I'm not talking, and I don't believe Jesus was talking about this kind of peace. This kind of peace, which includes good things, is only temporal and only offers a kind of limited peace. Jesus, on the other hand, has a kind of peace that transcends all understanding, a peace that reconciles sinners to a holy God, and a peace that answers doubts in a way that calms the heart that was troubled before. You see, when we doubt, often we fear. But when we doubt, it ought to propel us to see Jesus, and in him we rejoice. Because on the cross, death was defeated. Sin was defeated. And our greatest fear is gone. For those in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ. At the cross, we see that the gospel, God's good news, is offered freely. And when we see the resurrection, we see the risen Jesus who says, Peace be with you. To tell you that if you trust in him and turn away from your sins you will receive the peace of Jesus that solves and reconciles you to our good God. Jesus, once again, as this passage continues, says, Peace be with you for a second time. And he breathes onto the disciples. This second time of saying, Peace be with you, is a reminder from all the way back in creation, in Genesis 2-7, that our living began from God breathing onto us. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the third and final time Jesus declares peace be with you is the time that I want to take the majority of the rest of our time on begins in verse 24 to 29, which I want to read once again. Verses 24 to 29 says these words. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, who for some reason wasn't with the other disciples at the previous time, makes a demand. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There is this condition to Thomas believing. He must touch and see the risen Jesus with his own eyes and hands. And Jesus answers this doubt from the doubting Thomas by doing exactly what he wanted. But I want us to zoom into Jesus' words to Thomas on this post-resurrection event. Four words. Underline them, circle them, highlight them. These words are here. Stop doubting and what? And believe. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus reveals here that for Thomas and for us that are doubting, it should actually lead us to belief. Now, there are many of us who read the story of Jesus and Thomas, and they become frustrated. They, like many of us, may think when they read or hear this, I don't have the benefits of touching Jesus like Thomas did. I don't have Jesus showing up right here beside me and I can see and touch his scars and wounds. This is a valid thought. But sometimes we forget that Jesus answers our doubt in verse 29 by saying, because you have seen me, you have believed. That's the Thomas. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus has in mind people like ourselves who are reading this right now and did not touch the wounds of Jesus. He says they are blessed, not because they are blindly believing, but because their doubt has led to belief, because they have pursued the truth and the truth has been given to them. You see, Thomas wasn't doubting for the sake of doubting. The purpose behind his doubting was to know the truth. He didn't go around and shout his doubts to people around him. Instead, he brought them to the disciples and, then, of course, to Jesus. He wanted to know the truth, and so we must as well. Even if we don't consider ourselves doubters, we must be ones who pursue the truth. Now, perhaps one of the greatest barriers in our doubt is our belief on what faith actually is. For many of us, we believe that faith is a blind step into something. I'm closing my eyes and taking a step forward, not sure what is there. If you are with us this morning and consider yourself a skeptic, you may consider the Christians around you in the world as people who are doing exactly that. They're blindly following somebody or blindly following and reading and obeying the Bible. If that is you, I want to challenge you because I don't believe faith is that. And in fact, I don't believe this is what the Bible means about faith either. You see, the Bible actually says these words about faith. 
In Hebrews 11, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And how do you feed that faith and see that faith? Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, the interesting thing about faith is that it's not blind belief. Faith is actually trusting in something and then acting upon it. In fact, the only time that Jesus mentions someone not seeing or being blind is when he heals those who are physically blind. Or when he mentions the unbelievers in Matthew 13, as Jesus says, though seeing, they do not see. Christians, those who follow, worship, and love Jesus, do not act blindly. Instead, they live in faith. Now, what this means is that Christians need to, along with everyone else, pursue truth. Jesus, of course, calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. And then later in John 17, 7, in his prayer to his Father for his followers, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What this means is that all truth is put into Jesus and his word. What this doesn't mean, however, is that we ignore what history has said about something like the resurrection. We as Christians have the greatest proof, not just in the Bible, but in other historical documents and realities that tell us that the resurrection actually happened more than 2,000 years ago. Here are just a handful of ideas which are then answered with historical fact. And before I go on to those, it is pure known fact that Jesus was actually a person who lived on this earth. And so these ideas are not going to talk about that, but rather the resurrection. Number one idea. Jesus didn't actually die. Here's the idea. Jesus, after being crucified, after everyone was gone, simply left the cross, walked away, waiting a while, and then reappeared as everyone claimed he was dead. But look, he's here. He's alive. Here's the pushback to that one. If you know anything about Roman history, which you might or might not, if the Roman Empire knew how to do anything, it was that they knew how to kill people. And in particular, people who were deemed criminals. In fact, on an average day, they would crucify upwards of 6,000 people. Jesus was dead. Second idea. Jesus' body was stolen. So some people believe that the body of Jesus, after being crucified, yes, it was dead, but then it was taken by some people. Perhaps followers who wanted to make sure that people thought he was the Messiah. They want to keep up this hoax. The interesting thing about this idea is that in John 21-2, Mary Magdalene thought the same thing. It says this in John 21 to 2. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb 
and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Here's the main pushback for this idea. Why would the disciples steal his body, create this hoax, and then die for it? Also, the Gospels tell us that women were the main eyewitnesses. And this is important because as Mark Clark, who wrote a brilliant book called The Problem of God, which you should read, said this, If you wanted to convince people in the ancient world that your leader was raised from the dead, and you are making up this story, you do not make women the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. It would simply be counterproductive. Number three, another idea. Mary and the disciples went to the wrong tomb. So in their excitement, they accidentally went to the wrong tomb. That's why it was empty, because, well, it was an empty tomb, a wrong tomb. You know what? People do make mistakes. We know that. I know that. We make mistakes. That is true. But here's the easy answer to this idea. There's actually no evidence to support this idea. In fact, if they found the wrong tomb, the Roman authorities, after hearing that Jesus was alive, walking around to his disciples, would have simply said, wait, here is the body, and brought out the dead body of Jesus. You see, even today, people search for the bones of Jesus. But you know what? They will never find any because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. One more idea that I want to sneak in there is one that I heard often from people growing up. The whole idea that the disciples simply borrowed this idea of a resurrection from a previous religion or belief system. Here's the quick and historical answer to that one. Actually, contrary to popular belief, no one actually believed and put into writing the idea of a human resurrection. In fact, due to Plato and Homer, the whole goal for Greeks was to escape the physical and material life, not return to it. This is why the disciples in John 20 were so confused as to why the tomb was empty. They weren't borrowing this idea from a different belief system. In fact, what happened didn't fit what they thought at all. It changed their belief system and changed how they would live their lives from then on. So why is this at all important for Christians that Jesus rose from the dead? In 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 19, the Apostle Paul, one of the early church writers and church planters, wrote these words to the church in Corinth. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 and 19. And if Christ, as Jesus, has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus is alive. He is risen. And for the doubters who come to Christ, you will be rewarded. The gospel tells us that for the doubters to come and see the risen Christ who died for sinners, like you and like me, those who have rebelled against God and chosen temporary satisfaction in things of the world, when infinite and eternal satisfaction and joy is found in the living Jesus. The gospel reveals that for all those who are doubting, for those weary and heavy laden from doubting, come to Jesus, and he will give you rest by having you rest in his word. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the oldest confessions of our faith, asks this question. What is our only hope in life and in death? This question from its core tries to get to our doubt. Our doubt when we encounter trials of many kinds, when we encounter periods of sickness, when we are in the hospital, when our loved ones are in the hospital, when the world around us is in panic, and when a pandemic is all around us. This question answers our doubt by giving us this answer. What is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we don't know where we will be tomorrow. We don't know whether we will live or die within this hour. But one thing we can count on, and that is Jesus, and the resurrection proves this. For those of you who are Christians this morning, the church, the body of Christ, I want you to know that Jesus changed my life. He gave me purpose. He answers my doubt on a daily basis. He gave me an identity and a love that could never be separated from any, by anything. So if you know Jesus, how has he changed your life? And how does the resurrection change your life? Do you believe in this risen Jesus, this living hope? If not, believe now. Believe that Jesus died for you as a sinner. Believe that you are a sinner. And your only hope can be in Jesus by putting your trust in him for your salvation from death. Believe and take Jesus at his word. He is truth and his word is truth the truth. This does not mean we will stop doubting, but what it does mean is that in our doubts we must search truth, and that truth is Jesus and his word. Next week we're going to be entering a series in an Old Testament book, a short Old Testament book. This book is called Habakkuk, 
And in a very real way, Habakkuk is a doubter. He doubts where God is, what he is doing, if he's even doing anything, and if he is good and sovereign. Join us next week and beyond. I invite you for that on the same platform. But know today that Jesus is alive. Believe and be free. Believe and be saved. Believe and know love. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we were reminded that in the resurrection we have hope, the greatest hope ever to be shown to exist, to be conceived. Hope in Jesus. He is our hope in life and in death. And Father, I pray for all of us who have doubted that we will come to you. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We would search deep into the scriptures and see that your word is truth. Be with us this Easter. Encourage us, challenge us, and equip us for good works to love you and our neighbors around us. Jesus, you are alive, you are risen. We praise you and thank you for your goodness. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.